Y'all, it's here. It's finally here. I have officially launched my first ever online store and I am so excited that I just might burst. ShopCoachKaya.com is officially live and ready for you to explore. I have put together a collection of goodies to help you find joy in your journey of creating a healthy life that you love. Inside the shop, you're going to find things like water bottles, journals, stickers, graphic tees, jewelry, and so much more. These products are really a reflection of who I am as a person. They're motivational, bright, and a little bit ranchy. And the other exciting thing is that all of these designs were almost exclusively watercolor illustrated by yours truly. It has been so much fun to tap back into my creative side and create these products with you all in mind to share a little bit of joy for you to bring home to yourself. I'd love for you to go and check out the store, but before you do, I want to share a special little discount code for my listeners. If you use the code CLIMB10 at checkout at shopcoachkayat.com, you will receive 10% off your first order. Happy shopping! Hello, friends, and welcome back to the show. I am so grateful that you're here, and I feel like especially grateful because this week is Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving, if you're listening to this, the day it drops is tomorrow, um, but we're grateful here every single day. For those of you that are tuning in and listening, I just cherish this community so stinking much. But y'all, I am really excited for this conversation today. I have been putting some questions together and I just know you're going to love it because today I have a very special guest who I think is perfect for especially this time of year. Her name is Sherry Glazier and she is an Oklahoma farmer and registered dietitian and she knows a thing or two about creating nutrient-rich meals for her on-the-go family. Now, while she makes coordinating family logistics, on-farm meal deliveries, kids' schedules, and client consults look seamless, she's an ordinary mom just doing some extraordinary things. She's got a bachelor's and master's in nutritional sciences from Oklahoma State University, go Pokes. Sherry uses her education and on-the-job skills as a nutrition consultant, a speaker, a virtual nutrition coach, and a culinary creator. And recently, let's cheer on Sherry because she was named Oklahoma's Dietitian of the Year and awarded the Rising Star Award from her alma mater, the OSU College of Human Sciences. Now, she has got the credentials, ladies and gentlemen, but she's also just an incredible human. And I was so grateful to have her actually join my CLIMB membership community just a few months back. And I knew that all the goodness we talked about needed to be shared here. So y'all are in for a show. Let's dive on in. Hello there, beautiful friend. I'm your host, Kaya, a cattle rancher turned accidental life coach after embarking on my own health journey, losing over 100 pounds, but most importantly, rebuilding my relationship with myself. Now I am more on fire than ever to empower others to create a healthy life that they love from the inside out by sharing the tools, tips, and strategies that I've learned and continue to learn along the way mindset, health, body image, self-love, entrepreneurship, and more. We're here to chat about climbing the mountains of life all while finding joy in the journey. Welcome to the Climbing with Coach Kaya podcast. Now let's get climbing. Hello, Sherry, and welcome to the show. Thanks so much for coming on. It's an incredible honor to be with you again in this format. Just honored to have the opportunity. 
Oh my gosh. Well, I'm just honored that you said yes. I am so looking forward to this conversation with you. And we always have such incredible conversations about food and mindset and nutrition. And as everyone knows, I'm not a registered dietitian. And while I have my own thoughts and feelings and opinions about food, I think that it is so, so helpful to actually bring in an expert to kind of dispel some common misconceptions, really get down to the nitty gritty science of things. Um, But I also know you have your own personal philosophies about food too. Before we dig into that though, Sherry, I just, I'm curious, what got you into this field of nutrition and where does your passion for the work you do come from? It's a great question. So I actually, I grew up in agriculture on a farm, all that good stuff. So I, wheat and cattle have always been in my blood, but I also was really passionate about a little sport called basketball and basketball is what spurred me um, to actually got to play collegiately. And so your mom's not cooking for you anymore. You're making all these choices on your own. And I kind of realized the hard way um, that there was a direct connection between what I was eating and my athletic performance. And it had to do with one thing and that was what I was eating. Um, And so ultimately, Um, I landed and decided, hey, I love the medical field, but blood and guts is not in my jam. But you know what? Being a registered dietitian, I can do that. Um, And so just kind of like being grounded in that. I love health, fitness, those types of things. But as I have kind of grown in that, when we were in college, I can recall, we just wanted a class that told us is this a healthy option or is it not? And now as I have kind of gotten away from there, I realize why that class probably doesn't quite exist is because we don't put food in buckets, right? So mm-hmm. there's not necessarily good food, bad food type thing. We eat all foods. We just have to figure out basically what works within that. Um, and I think what complicates that, Kaya, too, is is how we are raised. The generational conversations around food have complicated our relationships with food. Um, and so that is kind of where I've kind of navigated to. And also becoming a parent has really elevated my um, thought with how I think about food, how I talk about food. In addition to that, even like in my kids' books and even like the videos that they watch too, and you are tuned in so much more to how really society talks about food. And so my mission basically is just to help people realize that we are better together with food. It doesn't have to be a negative thing. Mm. Oh my gosh. There are a million different directions I want to take this. I I love that philosophy and it really shines through when you talk and when you share really the way that you've developed your own, your own opinions and beliefs about food. But I think what I appreciate about so much is how much you talk about how culture and our generation, like how we're raised and how our mindset influences food. Because I think for so many people that maybe they, maybe they're like, you know, I just, I want to lose weight. I want to get healthier. What do I eat? What do I not eat? Like you said earlier, we have this tendency to like put this food in buckets or, or tie morality to food thinking I'm good. If I eat a salad, I'm bad. If I eat a cookie and how some of these really perspectives about food is actually what's keeping us stuck. Right. Yeah, because we can't think outside of it, or we just really feel like that's what we should be doing. Or because you might see a friend or somebody share, social media complicates it very much. But you're like, oh, they're being successful or something like that. And you get caught in the comparison trap whenever you, Mm -hmm. that was just one moment in time, right? And so, you know, the goal is, is not even to eat well five days a week. It's just to eat well all the time. And that way, all that fun food gets to be tossed in there and without guilt. Because the moment that you start relaying guilt to foods that you eat, you're not enjoying what you eat. You're not enjoying the company. And quite honestly, Kyle, like we eat th- multiple times a day, right? So it it is so uh, heavy to me to know that every bite people take put in their mouth is 
is like an internal battle, the internal monologue for them. And so just kind of working through that, that's what I want to help people or just put a, put a light on it. It's like, it may be more about that internal battle than it is about the food itself. Mm, man. And in my, my personal experience and now getting to coach a community of hundreds of other women, I feel like it's almost it always about something else. I think that we think that it's about the food because we've been told it's about the food and we have all these diets selling us solutions and how we fix the food. But I feel like for most of us, we know what foods make us feel good. We know at some basic level how to eat nutritiously for our bodies, but we're not doing it. And I think it's because there's something else deeper mentally, emotionally, or spiritually that we have this deeper hunger and we're just using food as a way to cope with it. And I love what you said about like the the guilt that we carry and how heavy that is because I feel like we we focus so much on this physical weight on our physical body mass but I think the biggest weight that so many of us are carrying is this mental weight with us and when we tie guilt to food that just makes the burden even more and so then that becomes a morality thing of like the minute you step on the scale and now that you may have been in a vibrant, positive mindset that morning and the moment you step on a scale and there pops a number, that is going to dictate how the rest of your day for a lot of people go. And that is not fair, right? So that number does not indicate anything about you, yourself, how impactful you are, how you make a difference in other people's lives. No one... Quite honestly, does anyone else care? I don't know. I know I don't. So a lot of times with my clients, we have to work through um, hiding that scale, putting it away, figuring out how to manage that because that number on the scale does not determine your worth, even though at times, sometimes we make it feel that way. And same thing goes for clothing size, that kind of stuff too. Yeah. The other thing I wanted to add to that too was, you know, I talked about like, there's so many diets, there are so many things and I, I get it. People are looking for like the magic pill, the magic button. But at the end of the day, nutrition is not sexy. So if it is something that is selling you and it's sexy and it's like, ooh, look at this, this is what's going to happen. It might be a great thing for you to start. But at the end of the day, people come to me for that transition plan, right? So that is not a long-term solution potentially, but like, how do we transition to the rest of our life? Because we have the rest of our life to live Mm -hmm. Um, and we shouldn't be in a food trap basically. And so I just like to give people a little bit of food freedom within that as well too. But it's not easy. It's not a, uh, hey, come, come, come visit with me for three sessions or whatever, and I fix you and we move on. There's a lot of psychological, a lot of self-evaluation. Um, um, and then, you know, it might take a couple months. It might take years for the light bulb to go off. Yeah. And I think one of the reasons why we're so lured by these, you know, quote unquote, sexy diets too, is because a lot of times they're promising instant gratification. And the truth is, is that most of us are just so impatient. We're like 20 pounds in a week. Yes. Sign me up. Like forget the fact that I'm probably going to crap my brains out and it's not going to last, but it sounds sexy because it's fast. And the truth is, is that lasting transformation is, is slow. We also live in a world now where there's instant gratification in everything we do. We just, we want to see immediate results of anything. Um, you know, even, you know, we'd shop on Amazon and if it doesn't show up in two days, you're like, yo, where's my package, yeah, right? So we so just kind true. of got into that. Even this morning, my husband and I were, we uh, were finished sowing wheat. And so we, we operate in a no-till format. So there's residue and you cannot see it sprout like you can some of the other conventional farmers. And it's very non-satisfying to be able to drive by and you don't see this pretty thing of wheat. So we have to be even more patient. Um, and uh, so it's just really hard to do, no matter if it's food or just even in your own work that you do to, to be patient and put in the work and then ultimately see the results too. Mm, I, I love that, that way that you compare 
this journey, your own self-discovery journey, your relationship with food journey to the cultivation in agriculture, because I think there's so many beautiful similarities that we can draw on. I want to circle back to something that you had said too about, you talked about the generational things that are passed down and that this, this process of healing your relationship with food and finding food freedom, I feel like it is this self-discovery journey. Can you talk to me a little bit more about how you see maybe like our own thoughts and feelings and opinions towards food and how the way that maybe we're raised or taught about food influences our relationship with it now? So majority of time, Kaya, it's not our fault. It is not our fault. And it's not even our parents' fault either. There are just people that have kind of gone through generationally and this is what they thought to be true, right? Or whatever. As infants, we, we, the hunger fullness cue works, right? So we're hungry, we cry, we get fed, we're full, we say, no, we're good, we move on. And then the second, you know, solid foods comes into play, then that's where the person in charge now feels like they have a responsibility to get you to eat X, Y, or Z, right? So then there becomes, starts very early in age, not by, not by anybody's fault of their own, but again, there's, there's just a lot of uncertainty. There's also a lack of education in early years feeding as well, too. That is for a totally different day. Um, but so you start there and then you have start, you know, hey, one more bite to get this. Or, you know, I deal with people a lot. You know, I tell them all the time, the Clean Your Plate Club is disbanded. Like it no longer is, a, is an organization. It's gone. However, I also understand why it exists is because people grew up in times of food insecurity significantly, depending on especially what part of the um, United States that you're in or even the world. Um, but, you know, for us, you know, people that live during the Dust Bowl and things like that in Oklahoma, like there's a lot connected to that. And it is just one generation removed from me. And so just kind of understanding where they come from, but also knowing now that we live in a very, um, very place of privilege that we basically get what food we want when we want to get it. And so I think really encouraging the next generation of parents right now is to reevaluate how you're talking to your kids about food in the form of if you eat one more bite of broccoli to get a brownie like that doesn't you're basically teaching them that the broccoli means nothing and all they need to do is work to get to that hierarchy. Right. So we have learned to put food on a pedestal um, to get to that and really trying to help people work through that as well, too. There's also the good food, bad food mentality or. Monday through Friday, I did awesome. I deserve cheat days, X, Y, Z on the weekends. Um, and so now your foods during the week are now categorized as basically they're healthy, but yet you don't enjoy them. And there's no sort of satisfaction coming that because all you want to do is eat a cheeseburger on the weekend. When we know good and well, we can have a cheeseburger with fiber rich foods any day of the week. But that thought is really hard to get past that whenever you have just it started before you even realized it was happening. Um, and so for me, I like to just start asking people why. So when I have clients, I'm just like, you know, I feel guilty for this. I need to know why. And then as we start digging deeper through the whys, you usually figure out that it is much more deeper than just here in the moment of trying to choose carb, protein, fat, calories, those sorts of things. Mm. Oh my gosh. I feel like we could have 20 podcasts offshoot from that one response. There's so much I want to dig into there. And I don't think we're going to have time for all of it today, but man, so good. And I think, you know, I know that people that listen to this podcast have heard me say it before, and I say these words repeatedly inside of my community, but the topic of compassionate curiosity comes up. And I think when it comes to um, understanding your own relationship with food and why it is the way it is and where it came from, I think compassionate curiosity is so helpful because I love that you said it's not your fault. 
And it's also not your parents' fault, right? Like we are, we are these products of the culture that we were raised in. And so getting compassionately curious about where a lot of these lessons were learned and why, honestly, Cher, it kind of blows my mind sometimes to think about how things in our history were not that long ago. Like you mentioning that the Dust Bowl was one generation removed from you. Like it feels like so long ago, but it's really not. And, you know, as I've done this personal work on myself, I've been able to be more compassionately curious about being taught when I was little that you better eat all the food on your plate because, you know, my, I grew up with not a lot of money and my parents grew up with not a lot of money and there was scarcity. And instead of me blaming my parents or, or their parents for why I've continued with these habits, if I can have compassionate curiosity about that and have some awareness around it, I think the best way that we change the legacy is to, to heal our relationship with foods for ourselves. And when you know better, you do better. And if we can really heal ourselves, then that can also heal this next generation as we're teaching them how to approach food. I love what you just said about leaving a legacy. That's basically what we have an opportunity to do. And again, we, we are not set up for success in how to feed our families and how to do those sorts of things. It's really much just, you know, you basically you have babies, you have children, and then you go home and you just kind of figure it out. I always, with, with our kids' birthdays, I'm like, this is our eighth anniversary of parenting and we still have no idea what we're doing. We're eight, eight years in winging it, right? Um, but obviously too, just know that there are experts out there to help guide you through some of these things too, but you just kind of have to find them and, and be okay with asking questions within that as well too because like I said, it's okay, but we also continue to do what generations before us did because we know what our parents did to be right, right? right. And so like, or, and we don't, sometimes we don't want to question it because you're like, well, I turned out okay. Surely it's not that bad. But yeah. um, I think just thinking through that. In addition, kind of another self-disclosure thing for me, like I grew up with sweets, had access to them, but there was always somewhat of a limitation to them as well too. So you can have them, but you can only have one or two, if that makes sense. So then when you get out on your own, even if there was a limitation, it's just like, oh my gosh, I can have more than two, right? And so even for myself, working through that piece for me has taken me a long time. I'm going to say it like 10 years worth of being like being okay to have stuff in my home and not care about it. I think a lot of times too, I use the Oreo um, example a lot. Okay. So like evening comes, whatever happens during the day, you have Oreos that were purchased in your pantry and they're just talking to you. They're not out loud, but it is in your mind. And you're like, man, I really want Oreos. And you're just like, no, I shouldn't have them. No, I shouldn't have them. And this internal dialogue can go on for 15, 20, even two hours, right? You're just fighting it. Um, and then at the end of the day, end of the evening, what happens? We go eat the full sleeve or two, whatever it looks like. We basically overindulge ourselves because we just spent the last two hours saying no. And so my challenge is to what if we just said yes in the first 15 seconds of that thought, enjoyed it and moved on, you know, what does that look like calorie wise? What does that look like for the mental health wise of us having that internal battle? I think there's a lot of power in that of just telling ourselves yes and moving forward. Although it sounds very easy, but it's a challenge that I can give to a lot of my people when they have that internal dialogue challenge. Mm, I am so glad that you brought this up because I think that when it comes to people and, and, you know, we're getting through the holidays. So I definitely want to talk about the holidays here in a minute, but at the end of the holidays, you know, there's a lot of people that have all this guilt around how they overindulge. And then January 1st, you know, that's when the gyms are packed. People are like, this is my year. I'm going to go on the diet. I'm going to get fit. I'm going to take out all the sugar from my cabinet. And I think the first thing that people want to do when they're like, I'm going on a diet, I'm going to get healthy. The first thing they want to do is restrict themselves and restrict themselves from these quote unquote 
bad foods, what we've been taught to think of as bad foods, and remove a lot of foods that they enjoy. And what I've come to discover is that restriction is actually the most counterproductive thing that we can do when it comes to taking better care of our health. Can you explain a little bit, I guess, like the psychology behind why restriction often leads to that overindulging? So definitely not a psychologist, but in my practice and what I see time and time again, you can give people the recommendations all they want, but at the end of the day, it's that internal dialogue, what's happening psychologically. But when people restrict themselves, all you're doing is telling yourself, no, I shouldn't have that. And the moment someone tells you, you can't do something or you can't go, or, Hey, you need to be quarantined for 10 or 15 days. Okay. What happens there? What do you want to do? You automatically have this huge, massive list of stuff that you want to go do. And you're like, I didn't even know I wanted to do this, but now that they told me I couldn't, now this is all I want. That's all I can focus on. So then to me, that creates an unhealthy, basically mindset. And you just have another mental battle because you're just telling yourself no. So kind of, um, but there's also a way that, you know, like, okay, do I really need a reset? That's fine. But like telling yourself completely no is typically not a long-term solution. And I am in the game of finding a long-term solution because we have to eat every day. We have our whole life ahead of us. We are making impacts in people's lives, not just in like what you do, you know, all the listeners, you guys have very, um, you guys are specializing in lots of different things. Food should not be weighing you down as much as it does for a lot of us. Man, and if I if I kept track of how many hours, weeks, days, years of my life I feel like I've spent obsessing over food, whether asking myself what I should be eating or feeling guilty about what I did eat, man, I, I don't know what I would do with all that time I'd gain back. It's it's incredible, and I feel like, and I know that most of this community is women, but it's not something that just affects women. It affects men too. I think maybe women a little bit more so, but maybe even that's an unfair generalization of mine. I wanted to share too, someone once shared this perspective on restriction that I thought was really interesting. And it kind of ties back to like our ancestors a little bit. They said, you know, every time that you say, okay, today's the day I'm going to start the diet and you start restricting yourself, it's teaching your body scarcity. And it's kind of like putting your body through another famine, right? Like all of a sudden food is plentiful and then you're like, okay, today's the day I'm going to start the diet and you restrict all of these things. Your body doesn't know that you're restricting in the name of quote unquote health, right? All it knows is that it's hungry. And so you're you're basically putting your body through this famine. And so then when you do allow yourself to indulge in these things like an Oreo, your body's like, oh my gosh, Oreos are here. We better stock up for the winter because we don't know if there's going to be another famine around the corner. And then after you eat the Oreos, you feel guilty. So you start restricting yourself again, basically proving your brain true and putting yourself through this famine, which is why I think so many people struggle with this binge restrict, binge restrict, instead of finding that happy balanced medium where they can make space for all of these foods and create that food freedom in a healthy way. That is 100% accurate. So the the yo-yo dieting or some of that stuff, that's why they're like, my gosh, I did so well. And then I stopped and then I gained an extra five more than when I started. And yeah, I, I basically, I use the exact same analogy. Like you have basically, you're now in a stage of hunger. Your body does not know when you're going to nourish it again, because there's no consistency in that. Um, and then the moment you do, it does not know when you're going to feed it again. And so there is a tendency to be like, okay, I am not going to proactively get rid of anything because I don't know whenever she's going to nourish me again. And so again, like those, there's so many things that we just want quick results. But again, I, we are in the long-term game here of, of lifelong situations. So there are some, some 
you know, and diets or whatever that are great to kind of get people on track. But it's again, that transition plan to long-term, how do you get back to living again? How do you get back to all the holiday parties and being with your friends and socializing? If, if the, if that dietary pattern is restricting you from enjoying life with your friends and your peers, because life is too short to say no to those opportunities. Oh, preach it, Sherry. You know, the way I think about it is if we're going to find something that's going to work for us long-term, you can't commit to something that you're not willing to do for the rest of your life. And I'll be straight up with you. I'm not willing to give up pie for the rest of my life. So let's find a way to enjoy pie this holiday season in a way that continues to nourish ourselves, not just physically, but there's also this like an emotional, cultural nourishment too, the social nourishment. It's kind of... um I think it's sometimes hard for people to find that balance or the happy medium. That being said, I kind of want to segue into us talking about the holidays because we talked about how restriction isn't helpful, right? It's, it's counterproductive. But I think that when it comes to people allowing themselves to enjoy these quote unquote bad foods, we know there's no bad foods. They're all just foods. But when it comes to allowing themselves to enjoy these foods that they have told themselves are off limits, a lot of people can be scared and weary and they're nervous that they're going to be out of control. And I think that that anxiety around food is especially heightened during the holidays. Like let's say that there's someone listening who's like, I've been doing so good. I've been eating so mindfully, but I know that the holidays is going to tempt me. There is going to be sweets, all of the sweets out on the table, on the counter all the time. What on earth do I do? How do I prepare myself? to handle this? How do I handle the holidays? I guess what advice would you give those people that might be feeling a little bit of anxiety when it comes to food choices this holiday season? The number one thing for me is we have to set ourselves up for success. So I want you to set yourself up for success. You have the ability to do that in a way of if you know these certain things are going to be there, what can you bring to that party, dinner, family gathering that can help fill in the gaps, right? So we all always know there's going to be those luscious, creamy dishes that we don't get to have often. And the thing of it is, is this is like one day in time, one moment in time. It's not like we're doing this for days, weeks, months on end, right? So more of it has is much more about, you know, hey, the grandma that made the situation, made the delicious dish, we want to enjoy it for her sake as well too. But for me also, if you're like, okay, I know there's not going to be a lot of vegetables that I enjoy that aren't in a creamy sauce or something like that, that's an open opportunity to help yourself fill in the gap. You know, if you want to make a fun fall salad with sweet potato and really just, you know, goat cheese and cranberries and just really make a fun fall festive dish that is not laden of, of all the things, but knowing you will still enjoy it. And that way you can pair it with the things that you still want to have. Um, I, to me, that's, that's, can really leave you in a sense of a little bit more of a power, right? If you don't, if you're going into a situation where you don't know what's going to be served, you know, I feel like you can take that a little bit into your control. And, um, and ultimately though, too, if you don't, it's one meal, one e occasion, one occurrence, we go to bed, we wake up tomorrow, we, we start over again and we set ourselves up for success in that way too. Um, it's a lot more about the people that we're with, maybe not so much about the foods that we're eating. Mm, say that one more time. It may be so much more about the people we're with, and not so much about the foods that are surrounding us. Mm, yes. And I think that when we have this anxiety around food, I think that it can be, and 
first of all, I get it. If you're feeling that way, I get it. I've been there. And I think that this is part of this journey of self-discovery and healing your relationship with food is being aware of how you're feeling about it. But I think also not allowing a lot of this like inner dialogue, which I think was conditioned to us by diet culture to feel this guilt and shame around food. It's distracting us from what the most important piece of this holiday is, which is the people, right? It's the connections. It's these memories. And food is a beautiful connector for us. So it is at the center of a lot of our celebrations, big and small, but it doesn't have to be the main thing that we focus on. You know, first of all, Sherry, that fall salad that you just described sounds so good. If you have a recipe, you need to share it with me. Second of all, there's something that you said. You said that at the end of the day, it's one day. And maybe that, maybe you have five holiday parties, okay? Maybe it's five days, okay? I think that the thing that gets in our way isn't overindulging during a holiday meal. I think we think that's the problem. The problem is us mentally beating the crap out of ourselves afterwards with shame and guilt. And that lasts more than one day and we allow it to. And then we sit in this place of shame and guilt. And some people, if you are like me, when I feel shame and guilt, my immediate thing that I want to do to, to go to cope is to eat more food. That has always been my numb of choice. That's been my escape from my uncomfortable emotions. And for me, it's been about learning other things that I can use to cope with shame and judgment or whatever uncomfortable feelings those are for me, whether it's you know exercise or whether it's journaling or talking with a friend. But I want you guys to realize that the thing I think that gets in our way during the holidays, we think it's the food, but it's not. It's our own thoughts and self-judgment around the foods that really gets us stuck and spiraling out of control. Think about that this holiday season. And the second thing for setting up yourself for success is we're not saving up for the one meal at the end of the day. We are going to still continue our breakfast, lunch, snacks, whatever it is throughout it. And again, if we're working on that relationship with food, then we get to enjoy it and move forward and not feel like we just need to overconsume because you truly are hungry because you were saving up for it. And so that's another way I think you can just love yourself that way too, is just set yourself up for success all day. Mm, I love that. I've also heard this is kind of similar to people talk about it, like the last supper mentality, this idea of like, it's Christmas, it's Thanksgiving. I'm not going to get to eat these delicious foods tomorrow. So I'm going to go ham tonight. Like it is the last meal of my life. And I think it's also that restrictive mentality that makes us overindulge because we tell ourselves this is the one and only time. Because I will promise you the cook will send you home leftovers. <laughs> yes. Tomorrow. yes. Oh, I love it. Okay. This is that that was so, so helpful, Sherry. And the other thing I want to talk about too, you know, there's the anxiety around food choices themselves. But the other thing that I think a lot of us struggle with during the holidays are also the people that we love that can also say things that kind of um, maybe trigger us a little bit. You know, when we're around people during the holidays, there can be a lot of opinions given to us, whether that's about weight or diet or them finding some new program that they're on or commenting on you gaining weight or losing weight. You know, there's lots of different things that people can say to us about our bodies and our food choices during the holidays. They can kind of set us off. So I'm curious, Cherry. Do you have any thoughts for how we can kind of navigate that as well? It's a very complicated thing because as we go back to the generational thing about how we've been raised and brought up around food, holidays are part of that. And then some for some reason, weight and whether you've lost or gained, and mind in mind, we know that we have not seen some of our loved ones for a significant period of time too. So there's potentially going to be like a shock factor, whichever way um, for some of us too. And like, 
being able to protect yourself or really think through that this is potentially going to happen and what is my plan? What am I going to do? Um, and if it's simple as just removing yourself from the situation of like, if somebody said something like, I'm okay at this point in my life of saying, I, we, I don't appreciate that comment. Um, whether it is whichever way it's going to go. I just, we are not talking about our body today. I'm here to enjoy my time with you and kind of move forward with that way as well too. And just simply removing yourself from that situation can be too, because that could set up another trigger and two, like we don't want, and they're doing it in a well-meaning way, but at the end of the day too, that can trigger other poor um, mental health situations moving forward as well too, because then you're just replaying what that one person said in your mind as well too. Even in our own families, those comments have been even made to my husband from well-meaning family members. And I still, to this day, it was like 15 years ago, but I can still hear it now. And like, it didn't seem to bother him as much, but it still bothers me that that was okay Mm-hmm. That, that that was said. And so mm-hmm. my challenge to all of you is just really just to be like, that's not an acceptable thing. Please do not comment on my body, whatever. Here's what I've been trying to do. And just mm-hmm. open up the conversation and really have an open conversation about why we decide to talk about our bodies and, and our food habits this way. And can we go a different way? Like just really have an open conversation and potentially challenge the entire thought. Not that you want to get into a deep dive. You may not want to do that, yeah. but I mean, at some point we have to start challenging the thought, right? Mm -hmm. And so how do we do that? It's going to look different for every family as well, too. Some of you be like, I am never going to go there and that's okay too. But just know when you go home, let me just reframe myself. I do not need to feel guilty about anything I did or feel guilty about what anybody said to me um, because this is, these are my choices. This is what I want to do and really go back to that mindset. Um, The positive self-talk, all those positive things. We just have such an easy tendency to go down that, that little negativity trail that it does us zero good. Yeah. And what I love Sherry is that you shared some tangible tips for setting ourselves up for success when it comes to nourishing our body throughout the day before going into the holiday meals or bringing your own dish to the family dinner that you know you'll enjoy. But the third thing you said to help us set us up for success is, is mentally mindset, like focusing on knowing that you might be triggered in these situations by family members that might make certain comments. How do you want to think going into it? How do you want to think coming out of that? And I love that you opened up the door. And again, different for every single person, but this is an opportunity for you to set really healthy, loving boundaries from yourself from that place of love. And I think too, we talked earlier about how the way we change the legacy is healing ourselves and teaching our kids once we know better, do better. But I also think it can be a beautiful place for you to bring conversation with the people that are in your own generation or the older generation. And the only way that they might ever you know, be exposed to these other ideas or shifting the conversation away from food and diet is maybe by you bringing that conversation up in, in, in the form of you setting a healthy boundary for yourself. So I, I love that suggestion, Sherry. And it's not so much that we like have to preach on it or do something like that. It could, might just right. be a subtle situation. Obviously you're not there to talk about, you know, body image and like food choices and all that stuff. Like you want to break from it all, right? We don't want to have to keep talking about it all the time. This is not something that we really want to do. And so that's where, you know, I think that's okay to be like, subtly and then like we're moving forward i am this is this is off limits for the remainder of the day Mm -hmm. let's go enjoy whatever we fun thing we're going to do today yeah absolutely and i think too um i'm going to bring back compassionate curiosity but also if you find someone saying something to you about your body or your diet choices um i know sometimes we can find ourselves becoming really defensive and i think sometimes we can use that defensiveness as a signal of where we have our own self-work to do but i think we can also 
be compassionately curious about where that comment is coming from because usually it's someone else's own feelings and beliefs that they're projecting onto other people. So if your grandma makes a comment about your food choices or your body, maybe it's you becoming compassionately curious about, oh, she's struggling with, you know, her own struggles with food obsession or body obsession as well. And I think that that's really helped me instead of becoming angry at people making comments about my body, really approach it from a place of, okay, this is where where they're at and they're, they have their own work to do as well. And this is how it's showing up. Right. Understanding where others come from is an amazing. If I had any grandparents left in my life, I think it, like, I just love to talk I love to dig deeper in like why they think the way they do and how they learn certain things and just digging deeper in how they were raised and what was said around them, what things they watched, what things they heard. I mean, they didn't have social media. Um, and so that's like, just to dig deeper. I think for me, it's just always just to have a better understanding of where somebody's coming from. Cause it's not always about you. It's not always about me. Like, right. So like, we all have our own things. Um, and I think too, just how awesome would it be is just like to sit down and like, just ask someone, why right and get a better understanding of where they came from i think that could be really like they may feel heard as well too Mm, yes man sherry this has got me thinking that maybe i need to like do a podcast with my grandparents and have that conversation it would be fascinating i i really do um because in the line of work too with um because i deal with so many young moms that have kids and you know if you have kids that are eating you obviously have additional people in at family gatherings helping feed them or take care of them and then that's where some of that you will start hearing oh you need to take one more bite or you know there's those one more bite rules or try this try that there's becomes this automatic pressure and like for a lot of parents, they may not be doing that, but then they may observe it in their own loved ones. And they're like, whoa, 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 where did this come from? And then figuring out how to navigate that is much of a challenge because you don't want to be disrespectful, but your kids are also like, what is happening here? I, my mom does not tell me to eat one more bite or things like that. So, um, that might be another opportunity for open discussion. Again, we are at holidays to enjoy our time with people. This is not it, but sometimes these conversations just kind of get slid in there And then you have no idea, but that may trip you up for the next hour because you can't stop thinking about that comment that was made to you. I feel Mm -hmm. like I'm getting a little bit passionate about this too, but it's just- Girl, let it out. I love it. Uh, You know, it's just, but it's not their fault either. That's just what they thought to be right and true. Um, And so just kind of moving forward, just kind of figuring out. And at the end of the day too, our poor kids are not even, you know, a lot of them don't make their own plates. So we're automatically putting things on their plates for them to think, And we now think that they should eat all of that. And you're like, wait, I mean, we don't even know what Aunt Susie gave them, you know, 45 minutes ago. This is why they're not eating is because she just slipped them, you know, whatever, the package of M&Ms, which is fine. Totally fine. Yeah. Oh, so, so good. Tis the season. The holidays are here and maybe you're feeling so excited and looking forward to all of the joy and connection and family and bonding, but maybe you're also feeling a little anxious or worried about it too. Listen, there's no denying that the holidays add more demands to our time, our finances, our emotions across the board. But do we really need to continue riding this emotional holiday roller coaster year after year? Friends, I have something that I think you're going to love to help you survive, maybe even thrive this holiday season. 
I have put together a holiday survival guide. And inside of this survival guide, you're going to find a workbook to help you set some healthy boundaries, but maybe even more helpful than that, you're going to find a library of videos, short pep talks that you need in the moments you need them most. Maybe your uncle keeps talking about politics at the dinner table, or your aunt won't stop commenting about her new diet or how much weight you've gained or lost or your food choices. Or maybe you just need a moment to relax and breathe for yourself. In this holiday survival guide, you're going to find the pep talks you need for the moments that you need them so that you can not only survive the holidays, but thrive through them. Visit coachkaya.com to check out my free holiday survival guide so that you can make more space for joy this holiday season. Okay, Sherry, I wanted to ask you too, what are some common misconceptions that you hear about food nutrition from people that I know you're really passionate about that you would maybe like to dispel a little bit? What are some common things that you're hearing lately that you think maybe people just don't have quite right? There's just a lot of there's just a lot of noise in the nutrition world anyways, like nutrition misinformation is just rampant. Um, and I think from my perspective of someone who actually raises food for human consumption, as well as someone who also um, is a nutrition professional, as far as like have a master's degree, dietetic internship, seven years of education, there's just a massive gap in understanding of where our food comes from and how people are raised it, how we such, take such good care to get it. Um, to the grocery store as well too. And so for me, like I just need everyone on this call to know is if you enjoy animal proteins, I need you to know that it's a-okay to consume them. Um, it's all in understanding the micronutrients that are being provided um, because specifically beef, the, the amount of iron, um, the amount of vitamin B12, those there's a lot of micronutrients that these foods provide us. They're so nutrient rich that if we choose not to consume them, we have got to get them from different foods. And you can't do that without a professional's help more than likely. Um, there's a lot of gaps being created if we start avoiding these types of foods. Um, and so, but I also think part of that is just a, there's just a disconnect of how our foods are raised and the reasons why we why do we need cattle, right? So cattle eat grass. Like humans don't want to eat grass. I ask people this all the time. So if we get rid of all the cattle in the world, who's going to eat grass? Nobody wants to eat grass. And so just having a basic understanding of these ruminant type animals and understanding their place in our whole ecosystem is just really impactful for me. Um, and then ultimately knowing the high quality nutrients that they provide us as well too. And so moving forward from that, the, the bigger thing is, is what are we pairing those foods with? It's not necessarily about you know, this plant-based movement that's happening, we need to eat more fiber-rich foods. Every client I've ever counseled does not eat enough fiber, right? We are always falling short. And so two, people love the taste of animal protein foods. And so why not pair that with the fiber-rich foods that we may or may not really enjoy with something we know we already enjoy that's nutrient-rich? That might be a ticket for more success as well, too. There is no need to feel guilty about eating any of these types of foods based on despite what society is sometimes guiding us to believe as well too. So again, I'm a little bit preachy, but also passionate about it because I just know that there's a, there's a massive gap between understanding the entire food system and how food is raised. And then ultimately, because we can go to the grocery store and get whatever we want any day of the week. Um, and, and that's a much, so much privilege in that, but it's also just really cool thing. But it's also because we have a lot of producers farmers, ranchers, making that options available for us as well too. 
Yes. Oh, I listen, you can preach anytime you want on this podcast, Sherry. I love, I can just, I can hear the passion in your voice when you talk about nutrition, when you talk about this mindset relationship that we have with food and also as a producer as well, which I just think is, I love it. I really appreciate that you're sharing your passion with us. And I I don't think we had mentioned it at the beginning as much, but can you tell us a little bit more about what role your family does play in the production of food? Like what does your farm, your family raise? Where does that food go? I would love to. Um, so my husband, Kyle, and I, we live in a really, really small farming community in Oklahoma. Um, the, where we live is primarily, we don't have enough water. We are usually in a drought a large portion of the time. Um, so we don't have irrigation. So the crops that raise well for us have to be drought tolerant. Um, and so wheat is a drought tolerant crop. So we raise hard red winter wheat, um, but we also raise um, hard white winter wheat. So you still get the whole wheat feel and fiber without the, uh, the density that a lot of whole wheat products are known for with the white winter wheat. Um, totally different kind of a niche market within that. Um, but within that, we're always in the world of figuring out what is complementary. So we, we are always trying to diversify. Um, and so for us in our region, cattle are very complementary to wheat pasture. So as wheat is growing um, in the winter months, it's very green around here in the winter months because wheat is growing and we typically will, um, there's a lot of cattle in our neck of the woods that come because we have the quote unquote groceries um, for them as well too. We also, um, we have raised canola in the past. Um, we have raised sesame in the past. Sesame is extremely drought tolerant as well too. Um, and this year we also did um, Milo, which is a grain sorghum, which can be used for cattle feeds, but it can also be used in pet foods as well too. That's kind of the other direction that is going. Um, and even other countries, it's used for human consumption as well too. So for us, human consumption type things are sesame, canola, canola oils, um, in addition to that, wheat, obviously wheat flour, all the things, but we also can bail that for hay. We can also just use it strictly for cattle and finish cattle out, um, um, get them prepared for the finishing phase on wheat pasture as well, too. So there's just a lot of moving parts. Um, Kyle and I have also kind of transitioned. We both grew up in conventional farming tillage kind of situations. And so, you know, things happen and we just reevaluated what was going on. And we, we transitioned to more no-till, minimal tillage situations a lot of had to do because of manpower, fuel costs, but also it helps us preserve moisture fairly well as well too. The kicker right now is the price of, of some of our chemicals that we use to control weeds are so high right now that it's forcing us to reevaluate some things, um, but we'll kind of see where that happens too. So there's always, there's a lot of challenges raising food because there's just a lot of input costs and things, but people just we're just disconnected from it, not to anybody's fault of their own, but um, which is why I typically kind of share as much as I can um, on my social media at Dirt Road Dietitian. Yes. Y'all need to go and follow her. Again, she's on social media as the Dirt Road Dietitian just to get an insider glimpse at what that looks like. You know, I feel like obviously people that grew up in agriculture like you and I, we feel very passionately about how food is raised and communicating how how it's raised to consumers that are disconnected. But I think that there's also, I'm just so grateful for I feel like it's given me even a deeper appreciation for the food that's on my plate because I have an idea, this concept of what it took for that food to go from farm to processing facility to truck to distribution center to to grocery store to plate. And I just, um, I think that that is, is really cool too. And as we sit down at our family meals, 
this holiday season to just be grateful, to be grateful for the privilege of, of knowing where your next meal is coming from, for being grateful for all of the individuals that had a hand in um, preparing that food, but also raising and growing that food, getting that food to your grocery store for you to purchase. I just think that if we can root ourselves more in more gratitude too around the food that we're consuming, I think that that for me has also been this healing experience, especially since I had so much shame and guilt wrapped up in food. And instead of feeling that way, if I'm going to sit down and eat a piece of pie, I'm going to savor and taste every single bite. I'm going to find so much gratitude for the delicious recipe that has been in my family for generations. There's so much comfort in that. And also just thinking about the men and women that helped that food get to that plate, I think just makes me have this, this really deep appreciation for it. And in addition to that too, Kaya, it's just understanding like where food is raised in different parts of even just our state, the country, like every one of us agriculturally has a different story. So if you connect with someone, like ask them, I like, I love talking about it. I love to be asked about it. Um, but in Oklahoma, people are like, yeah, yeah, whatever. We know what's happening there. But, you know, in California, well, maybe someone may not understand that this potentially is how, how it is raised, but there are just a lot of people working really hard. Um, to make sure that we have like our safe and affordable food supply. And I, anyway, it's just really appreciated for me too. Love that. Okay, Sherry, I have one more question and it's a little bit of a side tangent question, but this podcast is called Climbing with Coach Kaya. And I think it's because, you know, every single one of us is climbing our own figurative mountain in life. And that can look different for each and every one of us. It can look different in different seasons. And I'm curious, as we wrap up this episode, what is a current mountain that you are climbing of your own right now? I'm just going to say this. Hi, my name is Sherry and I'm a people pleaser. Um, (laughs) And so I, it's just a constant battle for me, but I want everybody happy. I want everyone around me to be happy. I just, everybody needs to be included and all those types of things, which also can be difficult at times because I have difficulty setting boundaries because I love the word Y-E-S. I will say yes to a lot of things. Um, and so really, I think it's just helpful for me is just reprioritizing um, what what is important in this day and age. I have a, We have a lot of irons in the fire around here. I, we just kind of started our own little direct-to-farm beef business as well, too. Um, and so just, you know, where does that where does that play in? And is the work that I'm doing, does it make a difference? Am I making an impact on people? And that really helps me kind of spur how to prioritize that. Um, but it's not something that's easy for me to do. Um, I used to work in a hospital systems. I used to be barely connected to agriculture because I thought I wanted to work in the big city, do those sorts of things. But yet the dirt roads always took me home. Um, and then figuring out how to get back to that. And then once you're back to that, creating your boundaries within that um, and still being able to provide for your family and be present Um, for them as well, too. That's really important for me. But also knowing like your priorities are going to change, right? As seasons of life move. um, And I think for anybody listening, everybody's going to be in a different season of life and just really figuring out where your priorities in that season. um, For me, that's something I'm always constantly basically trying to figure out. Mm, So good, man. Sherry, we are kindred spirits. I too am. I like to say that I'm a recovering people pleaser because I'm working on it. It's a process. I also love the word. Yes. Um, I'm getting, I think, I think I'm getting a little bit better. So thank you for sharing that with us. I think all of us, 
Um, we're all working on something, right? So I just appreciate that. And I love the questions that you shared that you ask yourself. I think that clarity often comes from the quality of questions that we are able to ask ourselves and become more self-reflective. So those are such beautiful questions that you've kind of used to help you set those healthy boundaries. So thank you for sharing that. So Sherry, I know that people are going to want more from you, whether it comes to your insights on healing their relationship with food or nutrition or what's going on at the farm and ranch. So how can people get more Sherry Glazier in their life? Dirt Road Dietitian. So that's got a .com after it for a website, Instagram, Facebook. Um, that's where I hang out within that too. Just message me. Um, and then too, I will have some um, co nutrition coaching spots coming open um, in January as well too. So if that interests you, just send me an email or send me a message and we will get it all worked out. Uh, amazing. Sherry, thank you so much again for your time. I always thoroughly enjoy our conversations. And I think that this is going to be just... It's, it's such a, a special conversation, especially for this time of year. So thanks for sharing your heart with my community. And maybe we'll bring you back again sometime in the future because I just can't get enough of you. I love it. And just everybody just continue the climb. I am honored. See y'all next week. Thank you so much for tuning into another episode of the Climbing with Coach Kaya podcast. If you enjoyed what you heard today, please hit subscribe and leave me a review sharing what you loved most. Come hang out with me on Instagram and Facebook to keep the conversation going as we continue to find joy in the journey. Until next time, I am cheering for you, friend. Keep climbing and we'll chat soon.